Hi, I'm Masaba Gupta. Each week on How I Masaba from Luminary, I talk to one incredible woman about how they do, well, them. These are the inspirational mindsets, necessary daily practices, and only funny in hindsight experiences that have defined and continue to drive our culture's greatest. My guest today is from the food industry. She's worked with the biggest names in the industry, Gaganand, Gordon Ramsay, and a little place called Noma with the legendary Rene Redzipi. This was all before she started her own restaurant. She's quickly building a reputation as one of the best chefs in the world. And oh, she just happens to have a Michelin star in her back pocket. From Ga in Bangkok, please welcome Garima Arora. Garima, thank you so much for being here and for doing this. I want to ask you, I want to start uh, with asking you a very interesting question. At least it's interesting for me. There seems to be this perception that elite kitchens like yours have this insane, super high stress environment, right, to work in. There's people yelling, they're swearing at each other, there's like food flying around, all of that. Is it just a very different world that you're experiencing? Let me start by saying that it may not be as intense as it used to, but see, the master of the fact remains that cooking is an extremely demanding profession. It's, of course, physically quite demanding, mentally exhausting, but also it drains you sort of emotionally as well. There's a lot that goes into working with a team for 12, 14, 16 hours a day, the same people with with uh, with so much pressure. And in close quarters, you. right? You're not like, there's no space. You're in each other's space. And it can be an extremely competitive environment as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's they, they're not far off, but I don't know about flying food. That's <laughs> not a good, that's, what, that's never a good thing in any kitchen. But yeah, I mean, tempers flying, that happens. Uh, attitude flaring, that happens. All of that stuff happens, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a high-pressure environment, no doubt. But I also believe, Garima, that um, food has a different taste when there's a different kind of energy involved. And I think when you're in that room with so many people and it's high stress and everyone's sort of, you know, up and down, do you feel like you're sort of absorbing or catching on to anyone else's energy that you don't necessarily want to catch on to because it affects the way you cook? How do you deal with something like that? Yeah, absolutely. That that happens. You can uh, one unhappy table, one unhappy guest can uh, put your entire service out of back. That's happened to us. I bet it's the same for you as well. Uh, I mean, working in a team, we're not a very big team. We're around 14, 15 or 5. But I think everybody brings something to the table. Some people are highly skilled. Some people are really good team players. Some people know how to kind of balance uh, uh, energies in the kitchen. So not everybody is there because they are, oh my God, the best cooks you can ever find. Building a team is just so much more than simply skill. Yeah, I different feel. different types of people coming together. That's it. So that's one way where the team kind of takes care of themselves. You always have somebody who kind of is a buffer when things are going south. There's somebody playing a good cop, bad cop. That, that always happens. But yeah, I think the finally it's it's a service industry. It all starts and ends with the guests. So when we have a difficult guest, that energy can really get 
uh, the entire kitchen down. So the best thing we do is we don't pay attention. I mean, what else can you? Yeah, yeah, just forget about it and move on to the next dish, and the next time. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it. I yeah, mean, uh, you can listen to your. I mean, people. Well, everybody has an opinion about everything uh, these days. You kind of have to see through it all and uh, see what you want to take in and move on from the rest, I guess. So. I've just recently started going back to restaurants and I wanted to ask you this since you mentioned a bad table can really set the mood, right, in the kitchen. I feel like people these days have, um, their taste is very sort of sensitized, you know. They're very particular all of a sudden about the food they're eating and small changes, small inconsistencies, if I may call it, um, just seem to set them off in a big way. How do you and your team sort of deal with that? Just making sure that, listen, you know the difference between an unhappy customer and somebody who's just trying to make life difficult for you. Yeah, I think uh, it's it's one of those things when you, you, you learn with practice. The more difficult guests you deal with, the better you are dealing with them. But... Uh, I always feel that guests, and this is what I tell most guests as well, and people who dine out, that if there's a problem, let the team know then and there, and they can do something about it right. while you're still in the restaurant. Right. Nobody wants you to leave with a bad experience. And then or tweet about having, it. I really think these Google reviews, we should be allowed to review the guest back. <laughs> well really done. To, well said. Listen, coming right? from somebody like less than three stars, fashion. you can't get a reservation in my restaurant. Absolutely. I mean, I, and also I sometimes feel like it's just irrational. Right. I mean, yeah. when we have reviews, I have people coming into stores who are badly behaved. I have people walking into, you know, fashion week, badly behaved sometimes. And I'm just like, can I say something or is the customer always king? You know, I feel like that is such it's a thin line, but hopefully we'll all get there. But what I wanted to ask you, Garma, what I'm hearing is that, you know, you have a lovely team. You believe in the idea of teamwork. There is this conversation about building the right culture at work. And with your teams at your restaurant or at any restaurant for that matter, is the act of building the right culture something that you actively work towards? But I'll be honest, on the onset, there was never the plan or the idea. The onset was, okay, let's open a restaurant and get this thing going. The last thing I thought about what kind of a workplace I want to call to call. Yeah, sometimes but, you feel like it builds itself, right? Mm, mm. I think uh, especially when it's your first business and you start off uh, it's your personality or your traits or your characteristics that kind of seep down to everybody. And those are the kind of people you attract. And the ones who don't fit in kind of over a period of time move on. And uh, the rest stay, stay with you. And that's how you kind of build your core team. And you have a work culture that uh, that is you. But then it comes with having to spend a lot of time in that place, I feel. You know, I, Garma, I feel like you have to lead from the front. You know, you you sort of become the flag bearer of whatever culture it is that you want to, you know, bring about in your office. And if you don't do something or don't practice something, I feel like no one else will. No one else will pick it up. True. Especially in the last first couple of years, we always have opportunities to kind of instill uh, a model compass with the team. You have, uh, uh, you know, circumstances that crop up that, you know, you act a certain way and then, and then your team kind of picks up on that and they know how to deal with that situation the next time without you having been involved. So you clearly are at a stage where you've got, you know, you found your identity as a chef and also as someone running the business, right? 
Now, obviously, both of these need to go hand in hand, but they require very different skill sets. And I'm speaking from experience where, you know, I have to sometimes just put my creative brain completely off and put on my commerce brain or vice versa. Do both sides come easily to you? I think yes and no. Uh, the commercial side of things, uh, I think, is forcefully that you kind of just have to think about. You don't have much of a choice. You know, you don't learn this in any kitchen. Not even that in any point, fashion school, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's yeah. it. Like in school, nobody teaches you how to do your taxes, but that's what you actually need to learn, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things that the, the practical side of uh, of any business is kind of missed uh, sometimes. But uh, yeah, I mean, whether you like it or not, you kind of have to step up and figure it all out. And also delegate, I'm sure, right? With you, you might have people who are better at something than than you are. I'm I'm also learning that now. I need to get people who know a little bit more than me, I feel. But that's so true. Even in the kitchen, I've always hired people with skill sets that I don't have. And, and this is something I think a lot of chefs feel uh, almost, uh, you know, they, they, they're hesitant to admit that I don't know everything. There are some things I'm really good at. There are other things that I lack. And of course, I'm going to hire people that I lack uh, skills for. I'm not going to hire people who can do the same things that I can do. Yeah, or yes people for that matter. I think we all need people who tell us what we're doing wrong and point that out. Absolutely. Yeah. So essential. Yeah. Yeah, I think it all comes down to finally kind of making an ecosystem that where everybody prospers, not just you and your business, but also the people around you, I feel. It's uh, it's important that you create a system where somebody is not with you forever. They go in the direction that they should or they need to. No, and I think a big part of that is running the system like a well-oiled machine, right? I really believe in that. Processes over people or people and processes together, right? Because I think that's very important. I now hire people who can set those processes so that I can, you know, keep the legacy sort of going, Right. Well, you need to teach me how to hire like that because I don't know how to. <laughs> I'm too new. It's always like, six move months. aside, let me do this. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm kind of in between right now. I'm like micromanaging and making everyone's life hell. But I'm also like, why aren't you doing your job? But they're like, can you let us? <laughs> so yeah, it's, There's it's, no winning. No? <laughs> there's no winning. It's it's a creative thing. I think it's a creative versus yeah. thing. I feel like Speaking of creative people, creative pursuits, we speak about art, we speak about design, music and food in your case. There comes a point when it becomes work. It's just, okay, I have to get up, I put on my shirt and it's the same routine over and over again. Does the magic ever fade away? Listen, this is something, you know, follow your passion and you will never work a day in your life as utter garbage. (laughs) I don't know who came up with this. No, it doesn't work like that. Work is work. There are days where you just, 99% of the times, it's a struggle where you're trying to make things work. But that one person when everything falls in place and you have that moment when you realize that everything in your head is is out there, in my case, on a plate or, or this perfect service you've had or a menu that is just where it needs to be or whatever it may be, that 1% of the time makes a 99% worth it. So... I don't know. I've I've uh, never had this like, oh my God, I love what I do. And this is, I don't understand that. <laughs> you know, I was, uh, I remember there was this one elderly gentleman once. I'll never forget this. I think it happened eight years back. 
and he told me he said you know you girls who have design houses are just doing masti i swear to god i i think i pinned that statement up on my board and i said you have to come spend a day in my chair in my office beautiful light and uh, it's just like pieces threads everywhere and you're just firefighting like you said right you're firefighting 99% of the time for that 1% of joy this is a classic uh, i think he's whoever this person is 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 a little bit jealous Ah. <laughs> things that you're having a little bit too much fun and wants to get in on that fun there's nothing more long and short of it is just that It's, thank you that's uh, that's think... nice closure for me garma i was waiting for that closure myself <laughs> yeah, i mean that's the only way to look at it man i mean how else why else would somebody go down this road and mention how much fun you're having but yeah going back to this i mean yeah you can you got to take life seriously you have to be disciplined uh, like i said 99% of the time it's suffering and you get through that with discipline you have to put your mind to it and do it and when you come to the other side that's vindictive that that feels good that that's the achievement that you're craving i feel like i'm speaking to a shrink which is wonderful that's why this podcast is happening <laughs> it's it's my personal therapy session but tell me personally garima uh, what's your time off like do you find yourself going to new restaurant openings how judgmental are you you know all of that <laughs> you'll be surprised how little i eat out myself really I think the last couple of years I haven't traveled at all. Yeah, but I think it's I've kind of become a more domesticated person in the last 2 years uh, myself. So my day starts with a workout. I'm so glad I started uh, well done. Working out. So you're investing in yourself. Man. This period of your life is you investing in yourself. Yeah, definitely. That's a, that's a good way to mm. put it. Yes, yeah, so I was uh, in a in a place what 2 years ago where It was too much uh, nachos and champagne every night, and ah, you know how like you know, we chefs get together, and it's just we have such a bad lifestyle, man. You th- you would think that chefs eat well, but we are the poorest eaters. Really? Why is that? Do you not spend yeah. time cooking for yourself? Is that a? Yeah, <laughs> you'll be surprised how little we do that. So mostly, what happens is you finish work, and then you know you catch up at someone's restaurant, and then okay, you start opening bottles of wine, and then you're ordering pizzas and. It's always late nights and it's not enough rest and it's okay when you in when you're in your twenties, right? <laughs> I was just going to say, okay all chefs are teenagers, have. just like teenagers eating pizza and drinking too much wine. <laughs> yeah, but your body doesn't know that, right? When yeah. your body turns thirty, it's like, excuse me, hold on. All slows <laughs> Suddenly down. Suddenly, your weight starts shooting up, and you're like, what went wrong? I'm eating everything I eat uh, all the time, which is like fried taquitos, and that's what's going to happen, right? <laughs> so. So yeah, I think uh, no. I realized that uh, I I can't keep going on like that. I put on ridiculous amount of weight, and uh, yeah, I put a stop to that. I started working out. I started eating healthy. I was much happier then, though. <laughs> I was I chubbier but happier. <laughs> I feel like that too. I mean, when I was 10 kgs up, which was about two three years back, I I mean, I wasn't happy year, but I was happy. You know. I was yeah. like when I look at myself in the mirror I'm happy. So what's your problem? Yeah. You know, stop shaming me. <laughs> It's happy weight. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. So yeah. So now before you had your own restaurant which we'll come to in a bit, uh you've been a part of some of the most coveted positions in the industry. Now there was Noma. What did you expect walking into the kitchen on your first day there? Nothing, I'll be honest. I mean, I was uh, I think it was my second second third job. 
who was still quite uh, young in hmm. that way. How old were you? I think I was 24. Wow. And I think more importantly, I think if you go chronologically, I have to start with my first uh, internship or paid internship, which was at Gordon Ramsay's, right? Yeah. In Dubai. I so I entered the kitchen that. thinking I'm the best thing that's happened to to this industry. Okay. You all can now calm down. I have arrived. That was my <laughs> attitude. Okay. But the queen thank is God, here. my head chef picked on that, very systematically broke me down. I, yeah, it was not an easy six months when I realized, okay, I don't know anything. And I'm glad he was so harsh and so strict with me because he knew if he, he wouldn't, I probably would never learn. And six months into my internship, when I finally was offered a job there, and that's when I think I, I understood that this attitude is something that I have to leave at home. Keep your head down, work hard. That's the only way forward. And uh, that was, I think, the best lesson that anybody could have taught me at that time and that the age that I was at. Because we Indian kids can be a little entitled sometimes. I oh, feel, God. Uh, you know, it's our parents. <laughs> it's our parents. You can kill somebody. You no, can kill eight or ten people. But they think the sun shines out of your backside. Indian parents. <laughs> Indian grandparents, even worse. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know whether my parents were like that. My though, but they were definitely not like that. But I don't know why. Where did you pick it up anyway. from? A neighbor? <laughs> Could be. It has to be my brother. Huh. Yes, I would blame on him. I have a younger brother who's okay. Maybe I should not say it here, but I must have picked this attitude up from him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Contagious. <laughs> Contagious. Contagious. Yeah. That's, but it's nice so, to be confident. But I feel like I love the part where you said, you know, that the head chef just broke you open. Um. I really believe that sometimes being broken open is such a painful process while it's happening. But then once it's done, you just emerge as a whole new person, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely agreed. Mm. Yeah, you kind of learn things about yourself. You can't be that uh, timid or that weak that any little criticism that comes your way or any hardship that comes your way, you you, you stop doing what you want to do. That's the joy of life, that things are difficult and you you learn to make it easy. And in the process, you acquire new skills and experiences that help you make things easy. That's what growing up is. That's what living is. If everything is supposed to be easy, then no wonder you look for microaggressions to kind of over overcome your day. Yeah, and things will get mm -hmm. dull. They get dull. And tell me about your restaurant. Tell me everything about it. I think... Uh, for me, it's recreating uh, India outside of the country. It's We're just kind of scratching the surface right now, I feel. There's so much more to learn and discover. Uh, for me personally, before I can take it to the table. But uh, yeah, the idea is to pick up Indian flavors, Indian techniques, and apply it to ingredients that we find in Thailand and then see what comes out of that. But this is, this is something I've, I've always believed about, oh, not always, I've kind of learned, especially because I spent so much time outside of India working with so many different cuisines. I think what the what French cuisine has done for just globally. the modern European yeah, cuisine, yeah, yeah. the fact that it's, it's codified, it's written down, it's broken down in a very scientific and a very methodical way, that gives a cook, a modern cook, a lot of... Uh, it gives you a lot of uh, 
resources to kind of rework what you have today, mm-hmm. kind of make things contemporary. But Indian cuisine has the same attributes or even more so to do what French cuisine did for, say, European uh, cuisine in general. Right. Indian cuisine can do for Asian cuisine, mm-hmm. I feel. But the point remains that somebody needs to sit and then codify this and like write it all down and break it down to techniques, to ingredients, to to seasons. All of that needs yeah. to kind of happen. But yeah. that's that's work of a lifetime for a thousand people, I feel. So that's what we try to do. Pick up these interesting techniques and then kind of apply it to what we have here. So the result is something which when you eat is obviously Indian, but it's like, okay, but how, but why? Yeah. Oh, which is also a fun when you eat out. Like when I eat out, I want to... I want to have a feeling of something I've never eaten before. You know, that moment yeah. where, you, where you eat something and you're like, you're trying to make a connection. Yeah, but you, you can't. can't put a finger on it. Yeah. yeah. You know, that only happened to us as kids. I don't know. For me, I remember the first time I ate cheese pizza. <laughs> oh my <laughs> God. Basic. Like it blew my mind. I mean, it still does that to me. But like, it blew my mind then how, right? So I remember that feeling. Like I ate it and I was just like, my God, what, what is the discovery I have made? And I went running to my dad. Like, have you tried this thing? But that, that feeling of eating something for the first time, you know, every like everything in your brain sparks. Your, your palate is on fire. Yeah, everything's just your brain's firing. Kind of There's thinking. like multiple tabs open in your brain at that point. That feeling is what I chase as, as a diner and also as a cook. Okay, how can I make people feel that? So that, that's something that's easy to do when you apply these Indian techniques to ingredients that are probably outside our geographic area, which is fun. So easy to please me. I just realized that each time I eat a Mari biscuit, it's like, what just happened? What just happened in my mouth? You know, so I'm very easy to please. But you're very easy when Mari biscuit is all you need. <laughs> I put Mari biscuit on everything, by the way. It's disgusting. I put it on my ice cream. I put it on everything. And I crush it strategically. And then I put it on everything. Now that you have your own Michelin star, where were you when you found out? We just hired a new song in the restaurant, a new sommelier. So we're doing a tasting in the private dining room during service. So there's service going on. There's there the chefs running the food in the kitchen. Meanwhile, we were sitting in the private dining room doing the wine tasting and kind of tasting our food. And it was uh, me, uh, Jibby, who is uh, she's basically my right hand. And then there is Tirana, who handles our PR and marketing. But now she kind of does everything in the restaurant. So it was the three of us and our som doing this tasting. And. <laughs> I was tasting, I was like, damn, this food's so good. I don't understand why people don't eat here every day. <laughs> Talking about my own food. Um, but at that very moment, I got a call, right? So they were like, okay, hello, we're from Michelin. So I was like, okay. And I stepped outside into the balcony to take the call. And uh, so Tirana tried to follow me out. And I just gave her like a look like, just wait. I don't know what it was, but both Tirana and Jibi at that moment knew exactly what the phone call was. I don't know. It's like the two of them helped me build every single thing I have today. And in that moment, even before I told them anything, they knew what that phone call was. And before I could even get out of the balcony and come back in, Tirana was already in tears. <laughs> Jibi was... <laughs> Jibi, Jibi was... She doesn't show any emotion. Like I've not gotten a hug out of her. In these five years, other than that one day. That one day, yeah. She just leapt at me. And I was like, how did you know? We just know. And uh, like it was with the right people at the right moment at the right time. And it was validating in so many ways. We had a lot of kind of uh, naysayers around us. But at that point, uh, 
this was the first validation that we got. And the team was so happy. Yeah. I can't uh, forget the moment the team found out. My God. The party they threw themselves that night. (laughs) (laughs) But I hope you cooked yourself the best dish ever that night. I hope you did. Or you were just like, ah. No, I ordered nachos, man. (laughs) I have this thing for nachos. (laughs) Not anymore now. I don't eat it. It's like once in six months. (laughs) What's your guilty food? Like you you have to have something. Okay, I will break it down for you. My guilty food okay, is... Right. <laughs> wait for it. Vanilla ice cream with... Uh, Mari biscuit. Mari, crushed Mari biscuit. Mari crushed, sorry. I have to crush sorry, it. Sorry, Chef. Because the, the girl who's in my house, she doesn't crush it properly. It's uneven chunks, right? So I have to like Damn. really crush it. And then some sort of like a drizzle of chocolate sauce or maybe like a chocolate cake that's slightly warm, 30 seconds. Are you mm. sure you're a designer and not a chef? Because you have all the traits of a very uptight head chef. <laughs> this is not how you crush it. Let we me need, we need to switch. We need to switch roles because clearly you're just eating nachos and, and you have a Michelin star. <laughs> yeah, I'm not doing justice to this profession. <laughs> okay, I'm going to end with a quick rapid fire. This is my most favorite thing ever. Do you cook outside of work? Do you enjoy it? No, yes, I do. Don't get... Okay, listen, most days I don't. But when I have some free time, I do cook. And then I really enjoy cooking. Mm. I don't eat my own cooking. That's another thing. I cook for people around me. I don't know whether you wear your own designs or not. (laughs) I guess you do. Yeah, you're right. I just feel like I want to wear other stuff. There you go. So I like to eat other people's food more than I like to eat mine. But I do cook. I love barbecuing. So every time I'm back home, I definitely do a barbecue. I love grilling. Okay. In your opinion, what city has the best street food in the world? There's no correct answer. It really depends okay, on the day of three. the week and the mood you're in. Top three. Okay. Uh, it's so difficult. <laughs> I don't even know how to choose between Bombay or Delhi. Okay, I'm not going to do any Indian cities. I'll leave uh, Indian cities. How about like Kolkata? Yeah, that, okay, that, okay. How do I choose? Calcutta for something and then Bombay for Birpuri and then Delhi for uh, Aluchat. I mean, like, you can't choose. Okay, so Bombay, Delhi, Cal. <laughs> that was simple. Okay, then let's do Bombay, <laughs> Delhi, Cal. Is, is it my rapid fire or is it your rapid fire? <laughs> I'm just like, as a saliva is not good when you're doing a podcast, right? Because you can hear it. <laughs> but anyway, okay. Uh, your favorite place to dine at when you're with friends and family? My dad's place, his kitchen. We I always uh, we always have Sunday brunches at at his place. I always do dinner parties at home. Uh, he has, uh, of course, he he still loves cooking. He cooks a lot. He's kind of trained everybody around him to to do now tasting menus. His his brunches are the famous. We start at noon and we finish at like eight p.m. So. The wines are selected, the food is selected and comes course by course and glass by glass. And it's just a just a delightful, boozy, you know, stomach filled. All day dining. Evening, all day Truly dining. all day dining. <laughs> Takes it to literally. Yeah. Now, your family will always be honest with you, obviously, right? In their critique of your cooking, right? But what's the weirdest response that you've got from friends or family to something that you've cooked? the weirdest response yeah just like pin drop silence wow that is no response is a big response it was was hard man 
Yeah. Yeah, I think I'd just come back from culinary school and I made like a ceviche for my dad and my brother. And I think that time, my now husband, then boyfriend, he was at home as well. And then like I served it to three of them. They were just quiet. I could hear the air conditioning boom. <laughs> what went wrong? What yeah. went so wrong? I, I didn't slice the fish thin enough. <laughs> I fucked it up. Sorry, I'm going to say that yet. I really messed it up. <laughs> no, it was my first time making ceviche. Then I don't know what. I think it was before I went to culinary school even. Yeah. I think I just got one of these cookbooks. Too chunky. Mm. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it's not a ceviche. I don't know about that. But they, they ate it. Then after a couple of bites, they were like, do you mind just cooking this and giving it to us? Just make some kitchery instead, you know? <laughs> Play safe. <laughs> yeah, that was that was that was difficult to get through. <laughs> Garima, thank you so much for this incredible thank chat. Um, yeah. Wow, I took away so much from this conversation. I feel like, who are you? You're a chef who's addicted to workouts. You are a human and nachos. being. Don't forget to workouts and nachos. A are human the same being, way. which is why I didn't say chef. A human being addicted to nachos and champagne, which is <laughs> which is nice, and also someone who is slowly but surely learning to let go and yeah. delegate, which is such a big thing for all of us women, right? I think we, by nature, are we're multitaskers and we like managing things. We are managers essentially. We know how to run things, but I feel like that about you. I feel like you. You've got it in control, but now you're learning to let the babies grow and just become their own people. So that's lovely. Yeah, well, I think I discovered that about myself as well. Yeah. We should do these chats more often. Yeah, and you're also <laughs> a shrink. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you for that. my session. <laughs> Why do I feel that I've been in therapy? But it's like, great. Very cathartic for both of us. Very nice. Yes. <laughs> In the next episode of How I Masaba, I'm speaking to the iconic Indian actor Vidya Balan. Tune in next week. You were listening to How I Masaba only on Luminary. The podcast is produced by Monisha Singhatyal and Rainshine Entertainment. Ritika Bajaj is our creative producer and Palash Kulkarni is our executive producer. The research for this episode was done by Anushka Mukherjee. The mix engineer for this episode is Arya Nanji. Artist management by Versus Entertainment LLP. The music supervisor for the episode is Ankur Srivastav. The episode was recorded at Island City Studios, Mumbai.